Confession with that. Oh, you know what, Ed? On our Instagram, NQAT pod, if you didn't know, um, you, you put this story, <laughs> you put up this like story being like, oh, with De Gea looking sad. And like, is anyone else like just waiting for this winter break to end? And I just laughed out loud because about an hour before that, I'd really nearly messaged you and Tom to say, I cannot tell you boys how much I'm enjoying not watching Man United this week. Well, yeah, I know, but there's no football on at all. Although that's not that's not quite true because the Premier League staggered the the winter break, so there is uh, there is some football, or, or there would have been more football, but for Hurricane Kiara, or maybe it's not a hurricane; it's a storm, isn't it? It's a storm. It's, it's a storm. Too for crows. Yeah, um, yeah. Some uh, some fun stuff happening. Uh, very sad. WhatsApp group I have that you're not in of of uh, me and some friends messaging, uh, sending pictures of uh, flight radar back and forth going, poor sods. <laughs> They've just flown over from Buenos Aires. They thought they were going to land. Oh, no. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, obviously. Thoughts, the hearts go out to anyone who's like negatively affected by it. It's, you know, we get more extreme weather, obviously, as you know, as we know, and it's, it's, it's really sad to see. And um, we thought, we would do uh, an AMA because there's no football. We could do a bit of a Chelsea preview, but that game, even even doing a preview a week out seems kind of crazy. And, well, and given the zombie apocalypse that's happening with coronavirus, then, you know, like we might not have any football after. I, hey, wouldn't it be great if we all turned into zombies just in time to stop Liverpool winning the Premier League title? You know that you have gone too far as a football fan when you're than you would when you'd prefer the death of the human race than your rival team to win the league. There's a there's a certain uh, percentage of people who uh, watch and listen to the news uh, and especially things like this who want the worst to happen. I've, I've, there's actually a technical term for it. I've forgotten what it's called now. Um, just to see what would happen. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm there, but in certain special circumstances. Um. Also, you called it the coronavirus, which I think a lot of people... Is it? Is yeah. it not the coronavirus? Mm, is it? No. I think it's the coronavirus rather than the coronavirus. But I could be wrong. I don't watch the news. So I, I, I mean, might... of a Sunday morning, I've had the coronavirus a few times. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like uh, the hilarious conversation topics of uh, mass extermination events of one kind or another coronavirus is it all right that's so funny i saw it once and i was like oh, the co-norovirus because i assumed it was like a, a a adaptation of the norovirus of some kind but no it's a whole new thing nothing to do with the fast and the furious you won't get that reference right you've never seen those movies i've you seen w- one or two of them you should definitely watch you should definitely make a plan to watch all seven fast and furious movies all right. within fairly short range of each other because there's a special kind of glorious internal insanity that you can only develop by doing that they are true masterpieces in their own way of like um i think it was uh what's his name Werner herzog i think it was who said of i, I WrestleMania, don't think he directed any of them he didn't but he said of wrestlemania like um maybe it was him maybe it was someone else anyway but this is you have to watch this because this is proof of the death of civilization it's absolutely extraordinary fast and furious is sort of also the proof of the death of civilization i think anyway um that is quite in a extinction event chat let's talk about the future of manchester united a, a um, slow moving extinction event yeah we, might um, say. 
We we put the call out for questions. We're going to try and do all of them, basically. That's, that's sure. what we're going to try and do. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's start with um, Andy McCoy, who says, at Mac Attack on Twitter, you're United captain and you take the team for a night out. At the end of the night, you round everyone up to get them home, only to realise three are missing. You're informed that one went for a kebab, one pulled, and the other was arrested for fighting. Which three players are missing? Now, Ed, I'm putting a wrinkle on this. You are not allowed to say that Luke Shaw went for a kebab. Like, that's... Otherwise, that's... You think it's too root one? It's obviously, like, 90% of people at least would Luke Shaw to go for a kebab. It's true. What about Phil Jones? Is that allowed? Yeah, sure. If you think think that's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he'd injure himself in the kebab shop. He'd slip on a stray piece of Donna meat or something. Yeah, it's possible. All right, so Phil Jones goes for a kebab. Who pulls? Oh, Anthony Martial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was going to be my answer too. He, he'd be in the club until whatever time it took. Probably about his... five past 11 known old Anthony. He's got form. Apparently his life settled down a bit now. <laughs> remains to be seen. Um, and who was arrested for fighting? Oh, it's so oh, easy. Marlon is... Brandon Williams. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he arrested for fighting and winning the fight. Um, so uh, I like that Daz, Daz Greer replied to this saying it's, it's kind of like the fullback club on a night out you go Shaw, Delo and Williams for those three answers you could work do it entirely made up of fullbacks um, alright so uh, at Bulls says how much extra pressure do you think Fred's comments will place on Ale given the problems he identified are ones you would expect a quality manager have sorted by now yeah it's interesting this interview isn't it so um a couple of thoughts i mean a few people asked this similar questions and um we just didn't like the others <laughs> at balls yeah nice chap uh, or chap s not sure anyway i look i it was on video so it's not a mistranslation i'm just going to assume it's not a mistranslation because it's out there uh, i don't know the nuances of portuguese um, I don't know about you, Paul, my Portuguese. Bit rusty. Strange, strange sounding language, though. I don't know whether you've ever listened to much Portuguese. Mm. Doesn't sort of sound... sounds Russian. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Sounds hard. Anyway. I like it, though. It's a, nice, it's a nice language to listen to. Yeah. So, uh, so take it face value that he's telling the truth that there are um, people with their own agendas. He's hinting at people not fully committed to the club. Of course, the... the the Twitter sphere reacted to that one in predictable manner, I guess, um, and that um, people need to sort of leave their egos at the door. I'm, am I paraphrasing? Is that fair that enough? That sounds about right. I mean, he said um, he said there's too much vanity. Yeah, which I, that felt a bit like that's a word that can be translated a lot of different ways. So do they, does he literally mean like people doing their hair? Well, I don't think that's what he means. But when he's talking about big do. problems at the club, you know. <laughs> That doesn't feel like... But he, I don't he think he's talk- been watching the Ronaldo doc where he's got, you know, four mirrors on every wall in his house. Legendary Champions League game where he had a different, a radically different hairstyle in both halves. But no, the... Um, the the That interview, I, I make this point every six months or so, but when Fergie was the manager and the secret footballer column used to be in the Guardian every week and it would always be like, yeah, football clubs are absolutely terrible behind the scenes. Everyone hates each other. Everyone hates football. Oh, the one exception to this is Ferguson's Manchester United. And like, we are so far from now being part of an exception to anything. Like this is, we are a fully normal football team. But this, I mean, if he said, 
50% of what's been translated. Of what it, it sounds it has, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of 50% it's, of the resonance. It's, it's pretty absolutely, damning. It's yeah. incendiary. And Solskjaer must be absolutely apoplectic because to come out and say there are players only in it from the, for themselves... Yeah, exactly. Completely undermines the manager. I mean, look, it's, it's in a way... Uh, so Solskjaer could react very negatively and drop Fred. We'll see against Chelsea on Monday night, Monday, week Monday, whether that's that's the case or whether they'll just deal, deal with it behind closed doors because everyone around Solskjaer says, well, he's got a lot of steel, even though he feels like, you know, competition winner in front of the press. So we'll see whether that's true or not. Of course, it's undermines the manager so much because it it may expose a truth, which he's not in control and if he's not in control, it's it's the beginning of the end, isn't it? I mean, look, we, we weren't asked in this list of questions. Um, amazingly, we weren't asked in this list of questions um, about the sort of re-upping of the soul backing stuff from Josimar, which is really hard to talk about without becoming potentially defamatory, right? So if you want to go read about that, go read about that. Um, there is definitely a take reading that. As we, we talked about it briefly on a previous pod, yeah, because it's re-upped, right? It's not new. There's definitely a take you could um, have based on that article that says Oli should go for his part in that whole thing. Right? You could definitely express that. Um, and so there's that's one reason. His performance is another reason. And then not being in control of the team, that's another very good reason, if it's true. So it was kind of it's kind of interesting. Because like, let's assume that Fred is not stupid, right? This is, this is this, I think it's a, a reasonable assumption. It's the first time he's done anything like this. He's been very quiet throughout his time as he's been bedding in. He's like now a really established member of the team. He's one of the most important players in the team now. And that, you know, says a little bit about the team, but he has made huge leaps this season. For him to be coming out publicly and saying this stuff about the team He's either got to be very certain of his position or doesn't really care what the what the result is in terms of United because, you know, he, he sees his future elsewhere or whatever it might be. I wonder whether, I have to say my instinct, assuming he's thought about it at all, my instinct is slightly the former that actually he's probably thinking someone needs to say this, someone needs to say this stuff, Some, it's, it, it can't continue, we've got to lance the boil and... Yeah, it would be lovely to think that this had been discussed in advance, but there's just no way, like, that oh, United right. don't do business this way. And, and you know, this is one of those moments where you just remind yourself, like, where are we? We're February now. It's seven years since Fergie said he was going to retire. So we're, we're, we're three months away from seven years since the end of Fergie. Got to stop thinking this wouldn't have happened in Fergie's time because Fergie's time is now ancient history. So, Half a generation ago, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seven years before he left was 2006. No, was it? No, that's 12 years. No. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So seven years before he, he left was 2006. He was only just emerging from the doldrums. He had his last glorious period was his last seven years. That's That feels like a long era, it, it, you know, and yet it still feels like a kind of blink and he's just gone. But but it's ancient history now and and this is you know this is just hey the look, exact a blink of an eye and we'll be talking about 10 years since united last won the title yeah exactly for sure because it's not going to happen in the next 3 years we're we're miles off that and yeah. 
Unless anyone at the club decides to drop, you know, five to six hundred million on the team, and that's not going to happen. And yeah, and as we've said a million times, like even then, there's no, there's literally no guarantee. I'm not convinced that we are actually going to sign Leo Messi, despite the uh, multiple headlines this week. Which, honestly, SEO people at, at football websites and newspapers should all be ashamed of themselves because the story was like Messi is not very happy at Barcelona. And all the headlines were like Manchester United considering buying Leo Messi. I know, I know. I thought that when I saw that. I thought, yes, zero chance. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, Messi, uh, this is a diversion, but uh, Messi able to leave on a free, well-publicised. He'll sign a new contract. It's, it's, he wins every political war at Barcelona. He's currently having one with Eric Abidal, who's the sporting director. I would imagine Messi will sign a new contract and Abidal will be out. Yeah, I mean... Unlike Fred, who will still be at the club, I imagine, but we'll uh, have to deal with the fallout from this particular interview. So do you think Do you think it puts more pressure on Ali, him saying that? kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does, because it, it exposes a truth. Yeah. Right, so the, the narrative, the PR thing that, you know, Ollie is the man because he's he's doing the cultural reboot, right? He's culturally rebooting United. Behind the scenes, it's absolute steel, whatever he looks like, happy chappy in front of, you know, happy warrior in front of the camera. Uh, this this says he has no control over the dressing room at all. That's brilliant. That's such a brilliant observation. That's exactly right, isn't it? It completely renders. As, you know, we've heard that spin a lot. It's always seemed like nonsense to me. Not that he was trying to do that, sure, but that that was actually happening. I think you'd see it on the pitch if that was happening. You would. And I'm not saying we'd win every game, but you'd see something other than what you have been seeing. This was... Yeah, yeah. And what what it does say is that the cultural reboot, if there is any... It's just Brexit FC, and I'm sorry, we were, we were being really superficial with that one because it's like, ah, oh, sign British players. But you don't just sign British players and suddenly become a close-knit unit, a squad, a family again, all on the same page. That's, that's not how it works I mean, it's just football. Prof- it's just jingoistic, small-minded, nationalistic nonsense to think that, isn't it? Like, that's, the you know, obviously, like, cultural similarity is important in... in or not cultural similarity, cultural um, compatibility is important. But, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be the same. I mean, look at Fergie's last great team was profoundly multicultural. Uh, It's one of the great, you know, triumphs of his incredible ability to adapt. You know, it was relentless. Anyway, um, next, should we do the next one? Let's go for it. A friend of the show at... Benny Hudson says, now that we're seeing the greatest team ever, TM, about to win the league, winning it from the greatest team ever, TM, who themselves won it as the greatest team ever, TM, which of our Premier League teams gets the least amount of respect? Goes on to say in the media, but I don't really like talking about the media because I don't think it's a thing. Um, But yeah, which which United great side do you think is the most kind of like undervalued? So I I, I was thinking about this um, when I saw the, the tweet. I think it's the 2000-2001 team. Okay. So 99 gets loads of press. Great side, can't say anything about it. Apart from Liverpool fans who will have you believe that it was the FA and we had all these rubbish players and it wasn't for the FA and their cheating, oh, we wouldn't have won. haven't heard any United fans call them Liverpool this season and say that they're just lucky. Well, they are, yeah. Fact. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, 94, 95, I mean, certainly it's a good... Uh, report card from everyone sorry 1993 94 gets a good report card from everyone who's old enough to have seen that team and and in the media too 
So 2001, United won the league by 10 points, but Fergie fielded like a, you know, a youth side, the reserves for the last three games, which United lost, but they were on a great run. So let's assume that that could well have been a 19-point winning season. Um, Lost three times in the league to Arsenal, pretty decent side even then, and twice to Liverpool, and that can happen in games against Liverpool. Um, and you know the 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 big shame, I guess, for Fergie that season was losing in the European Cup. Mm. So who did we lose to? Champions who League. did we lose to in the Champions League? Any idea? No. Is it there? Is it on the tip of your tongue? Uh, on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember. No. Let's carry on talking, but, and I'll uh, I'll work it out. Um, yes, but I think that was a really good side. I mean, it was rude. Rude scored thirty odd. Uh, it wasn't his big, big, big season, but it was a really good team. It's interesting. I, I guess I, I'm I'm going to say like a team that is nowhere near as good as that, but the team that was sort of the pre-Premier League winning team, so the Cup Winners' Cup team, kind of pre-Cantona, pre, well, not pre-Cantaskis because he was there, but like that, just that team that's just about to emerge into true greatness is a, is a really good team. But yeah, ni- ni- 93, 94, I think, like it's so extraordinary and it kind of gets played down a little bit. I mean, the fact that we won we won the double two times in a row. No, because we didn't do the double and then we did. Did we do the double double? When did we do the double double? I don't know. I can't remember my, my United is because we won it. 94 and 96. Okay. So there was a gap, doubles, right? Yeah, there was a gap in, in between. But anyway, that. Yeah. When the FA robbed us <laughs> and, and banned Cantona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bayern Munich is the answer. Right. Yes. Um, okay, Travis Bickle ninety two has a question which good good good, good handle yeah, made me on Os- Oscar Knight slightly turned me into Travis Bickle slightly this question in that I was violently angry about it. Um, are we confusing Ali's legendary status with a legendary moment? No, no, nothing about. Listen, right, forget, just wipe the last nine months out of your minds. I was going to say a year, but a year ago today, as we record, this was the Fulham game. And that was absolutely amazing atmosphere. Peak Ole's at the wheel times. Um, but wipe the last month, nine months out of your mind, right? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a Manchester United legend. Make no mistake about it. It was it was everything about his United career. It was his emergence as he arrived, this kind of like, um, he was bought for the reserves, essentially, to see if he could have something about him and was in the first team within six weeks of arriving, was the top scorer in his first season at the club. And then he could have left time after time after time. He was offered deals elsewhere. Spurs was the perennial link, of course, and refused consistently to leave because he'd rather be on United's bench winning trophies and being part of United than playing every week in in um, their team. Plus his whole battle with injury, his return from injury, his relationship with the fans, throughout all that period and his incredible gratitude to the fans afterwards. United legend. Yeah. Uh, look, we'd consider the legend slightly differently, I think, if he hadn't scored that goal. Obviously. Right? He would have a decent, if not not but not spectacular record as a striker for United if he hadn't scored that goal. Mm, but the- I, I, look, I buy the narrative. I buy the narrative, but... It would have been 100 and whatever goals in 300 odd yeah, games. Yeah, but how many of those are substitute appearances? The, the I, I bet his goals per night is pretty good. Um, difficult to work that out in retrospect. But the uh, the 
I'm sure he overperformed his XG. <laughs> Definitely can't work that one out. But the thing about that moment is it isn't just a legendary moment. It's the, the reason I think why he obviously like him scoring the winning goal in the in that game did something to his his status at the club but it's but it's supposed to i mean 6 months before that he'd scored the less than 6 months 3 months before the 4 months before that he'd scored the winner against liverpool in the last minute to send us through in the fa cup which is part of the reason that we won that and actually you know the 99 team i think that might be the team that gets the least res- less respect than it deserves because it res- deserves so much respect you know in the FA Cup, we beat, I think we beat Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal, who finished second, third and fourth that season. And we had to beat Barcelona. Well, we were in the group stage with Barcelona. We had to beat Juventus. We had to beat Bayern Munich. Like, compare that to some... Cert- and Inter. Yeah, you compare that to like... C- Ronaldo's Inter. Certain teams' historic victories. I think you'll find that ours are a little bit... A little bit special, anyway. Yeah, but I mean, yes, yes, you're 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 bending the conversation away from Solskjaer there. Look, I think it's fair to say that without that moment, we'd think of him very differently. But he had that moment, so no questioning the legacy. Jetson Gospel says, "What will be the one PSG moment this season that will temporarily bring Paul back to Twitter?" I've had my Twitter for this season. United beating Sevilla in the uh, Europa League uh, quarterfinal. That's not going to nah, do it Europa, for you. Europa League isn't isn't getting anyone back on Twitter. <laughs> there's there's no. I don't think there, there, there's no. I can't conceive of a joy pure enough to bring me back on on Twitter this season. Um. Also, I think my Twitter account might be gone forever at this point. I I tried to avoid that happening, but. Uh, I lost my lovely like verification thing because I changed the name of the account, and you don't get like twelve months of leeway when you don't have a verified account. <laughs> no, no, we've just changed we've changed your Twitter account name, haven't we? Mm. To I think it might be gone. I think it might. I think you might be gone. It might be gone forever. Anyway. Hmm. Um. All right. So we've had multiple questions about Fred, which we've which kind of covered. So just a quick shout out to uh, Pranav. Meta and Jaho72 for the questions about that. Um, all right, but Julia Rishab, this is a question that I feel like we have every now and again. It's like kind of in the last few years, this has been a sort of cyclical, cyclical concept. Not to be revisionist, but what was LVG's time better than it felt? Yes, the football was dreadful, but reports say he was trying to rebuild the club behind the scenes, the academy, training ground, medical staff. Was Jose the definitive mistake post-Fergie, someone disinterested in the process of building a club? Great question. Yes, and, and uh, I look, I think I probably disagree with the first part and, and agree with the second part, if that's fair enough. I, I think it was pretty dreadful under Van Hull and he should have done more with the component parts that he had and he, he got a lot of investment in new players and a lot of new players. We managed to do like five deals in one summer. And somehow wasn't able to fashion those into to something that worked uh, to a functional team or at least even a half entertaining team. So yeah, he won he won the FA Cup, but um, didn't do more than that. Of course, Solskjaer is going to achieve far less and keep his job. So I mean, I guess it looks it seems anyway. And the second part, I mean, yes, it was a mistake because everything that uh, Jose ended up doing, the fact that he doesn't care about what the fallout is from his time afterwards and his completely nihilistic approach was completely and totally and 100% predictable. We predicted it. 
And everyone who said that that would be the case was completely vindicated afterwards when he did that. And now we're seeing some of the fallout. And Ollie's failing, but I don't think that's okay just because he's failing to be revisionist and say, well, look at Jose. Yeah. No, and I think, I think, um, I'm not sure that Jose is the definitive mistake post Fergie. I think the definitive mistake post Fergie is Woodward. Um, I, I would say that's, that's the one single mistake. Um, and also, I think it's hard to argue that, um, Mourinho was more of a mistake than Moyes, for example, as the direct successor to Ferguson. But, um, the Van Hal era, you see, it's, it's very easy to be revisionist about it because you've got things like, the emergence of Marcus Rashford, the signing of Anthony Martial, these kind of like future-proofing moves, which have been very important. Well, not future-proofing, but future-minded moves. But, I mean, the second season under Van Gaal, the football was so horrific that the entire stadium gave Memphis Depay a sarcastic round of applause, not aimed at the player, when... Um, he was brought on against Sheffield United in, I think, the League Cup, the game that Rooney scored the last-minute penalty winner. Might have been the FA Cup third round, actually. But anyway, because um, we had not had a shot and Depay had a shot and there was a, a sarcastic standing ovation given. The football wasn't just a bit dull under Van Gaal in the second season. It was unbelievably dull and profoundly ineffective. So, yeah. I mean, Barcelona are seeing some of this from the Setien school at the moment, aren't they? 900 passes, one shot, that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, that would normally be an exaggeration, but I think there was literally one game when that was true. <laughs> that's, that's pretty special. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I was listening to uh, On the Continent podcast with Andy Brassel and people on the Football Ramble Network, and uh, they were talking about the kind of crisis at Barcelona. And it really does sound like an abject crisis at Barcelona who are points off the top of La Liga and still in the Champions League <laughs> like yeah when it's like oh no listen you want a once glorious club in crisis you're gonna have to look a lot harder than Barcelona um thoughts on the goalkeeper situation says at Kyrie underscore K17 sell De Gea bring back Henderson as number one or keep Henderson out on loan at a team above us in the league for another season or maybe risk losing him for good yeah, well, I think, first of all, we have to say that De Gea signed a new contract last season. It's a five-year contract and he's on absolutely massive wages and, and that clouds the whole situation. So even if you were minded to say, perhaps, like, if you, if you believed, I'm not saying I necessarily believe this, but if you believed that De Gea was in long-term decline and Henderson was on the upslope and may even overtake him and that the appropriate and sensible thing to do would be to make sure that you kept Henderson and because that's the best thing for the club, if not in the first season, but over the longer piece, maybe even in the first season, then you might look to shift the hair out. But I think someone who's earning the biggest wage ever given to a goalkeeper in the history of British football, and depending on how you calculate it, he may even be the best paid player in England then he's going to be almost impossible to shift out. Real Madrid don't need a new goalkeeper. Barcelona don't need a new goalkeeper. Paris Saint-Germain seem happy with Keylor Navas. Juve may want to replace uh, Chesney, but they're not going to pay those wages and a fee. So I think we're locked into De Gea. 
Henderson, I mean, the best situation might be to buy time, get him to sign a new contract with a promise that he'll be given a real chance and then loan him one more season. The thing is, the, the numbers for Henderson don't stack up too well either because, you know, you just listed all the clubs that don't need a new goalkeeper. Even if they did need a new goalkeeper, I don't. I think the, tie, the ship has sailed for one of the super clubs to be like, yes, this guy is definitely the guy now for David Gea. Um, I just don't. I just don't think he's at that level anymore, which is kind of crazy. Given a couple of seasons ago, he clearly was. I, I think if you think about like he doesn't have the absolutely elite level distribution that some of his rival keepers have, and he still has moments of superhuman reflex and ability. But he's made like plenty of mistakes in the last two seasons and so yeah and and but like he's sure and he's his shot stopping percentage so all the all the models sorry to go back to the the stats but the you know model versus the shot stopping percentage versus the xg he's down near the bottom this season for premier league goalkeepers so you know on that very narrow metric range he's performing well under par again you know, there are mitigating circumstances. Um, we've had a lot of injuries in midfield. McTominay's been out. But those, those are... New, new defenders being integrated, blah, those, blah, 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 blah. Those so, are mostly mitigating factors about the amount of XG conceded rather than mitigating factors about save percentage, I would say. Um, sure, but 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 it may be affecting David Hare's confidence and, yeah. and so on, right? Is all I'm trying to say. So... Um, but we can, what we can't use is the excuse that we had last year, which was to say the contract situation is clouding his judgment. Mm. Now, maybe we can say the lack of competition. I mentioned this in an earlier pod. This is something apparently internally at United, they feel there is not enough competition for De Gea and it hasn't focused his mind. Dean Henderson may provide that. Henderson being the confident player he is. How confident is he? Is he so confident that he doesn't want to come to United and, and play second fiddle? Where he's so confident that he does want to come back to United and push to become that number one. But who do you, uh, I mean, Lee Grant's going to leave this summer, um, and it looks like Sergio Romero will too. So we need two more goalkeepers. Henderson maybe mm. one. Yeah, we'll I mean, see. if he's, he might be happy to kind of stay and play in the cup. But you know, even if like say say next year's a holding year for Dean Henderson, either on loan or as United's kind of official designated number two with cup games. Um, either way, a year later, this problem has not even nearly gone away. It's still four years more or three and a half years more until financially it makes any sense whatsoever, or at least two more years after after this, so at least three years from now, two and a half years from now, that, that, that Henderson's got any realistic chance of being number one, I would say. Not like two full, two more full seasons. Yeah, but I mean that that may may or may not be true. I mean we're just trying to buy time. Yeah, right. But so what I'm saying is, with that, with that we kind of need yeah, a lot. Yeah, of if time. De Gea's form picks up, then Henderson's screwed, and if De Gea's form doesn't pick up, then Henderson's screwed because United can't get rid exactly. of him. Exactly. Um, at Neil underscore Barsley, long, long, long time friend of the show, like proper back in the day times friend of the show, says we're going to Manchester to see United for the first time in April. Is this a great season or the greatest season to see your first United game? Um, I I think about this. I have thought about this so often in the last six and a half years now. I've just like every time that, that Sheffield United game that I referred to earlier, I distinctly remember leaving there thinking there's probably at least 
at least 100 people in this stadium whose lifelong dream has to been to see Man United play one day and this is the game they got to see. It's 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 it just makes me so sad that people could like wait all their lives and dream of seeing United and maybe see one United game their whole lives and and not that we might lose because that's part of being a football fan but they might get nothing worth seeing. So it's a shame, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, I would say this is um, not quite the greatest season but Listen, anytime you can go to Old Trafford and see the mighty Red Devils in person, it's got to be a good season to see United. And we'll be back with more questions after this short break. If you want more from us, the people what brought you this here podcast, you can follow us on various social media platforms. Ed is on Twitter at NQATPod. You can find us on Facebook at uh, No Question About That Podcast, formerly United Rant. Cheers, Facebook. Or my personal platform of choice, you can follow us on Instagram at NQATPod. Uh, question for me here, Ed. Um, you, you might it might have half an answer to this at this point. But um, at Sorala Pio, uh, Mikaletanen says, what are some of Paul's favourite games from 2019 and from the past decade overall? Ed can also answer if he's played any games. Ed doesn't get to play video games because he's too busy, um, even though he got a Google Stadia, which he'll get to enjoy for another year before they definitely shutter it. He doesn't agree with this, but that is what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, the... Um, the uh, my game in the last decade is very easy, so I'll answer quickly. I, I can tell you exactly why I don't believe that's <laughs> true. I think you already have. Uh, I, I have some quite good insight info, but um, anyway, go uh, ahead. Red Dead Redemption Two. Um, all right, five years till they shut it. Uh, Red Dead Redemption Two is my game of the last decade and ever. Um, I think it's a genuine masterpiece of the form. And 2019 was a year, weird year. I didn't play many of the new games. Um, but the one, and I didn't finish this one, but one which kind of stuck with me and I found extremely charming is a game called The Outer Wilds. Not The Outer Worlds, which was a kind of Fallout-esque RPG, which is also good, but not my cup of tea. Um, but The Outer Wilds is a sort of magical, kind of incredibly charming, brilliantly written and constructed space exploration game based on you living a time loop of 22 minutes over and over again and exploring this fictional solar system. Uh, it's kind of wonderful and magical. Um, and it has space banjos in it, which is no no better kind of banjo. Um, have you, talking of which, though, talking of space, you've been watching Picard. Yes, I really like it yes. so much, and I don't think it's good. I, I really liked uh, Discovery until it went weird in the second season. So. I'm I'm not convinced that I actually think Picard is good. It's just cards in it. So it's like I I'm, I have no like filter for deciding whether this is good or not. I just love him so much. So, so I don't think anything about Star Trek is either ever innovative or cutting edge in any kind of way. It's it's always very soft and very happy, happy, jolly, jolly, and most of the time, right? And uh, and the the peril that everyone's in is really quite mild, and they all come through it all the time. Um, but you enjoy it for that. The thing is, though, I do think there will be like some interesting sociological analysis that compares the tone of the next generation to the tone of Picard and what it says about the state of America's relationship with itself like the next generation is so incredibly optimistic and diverse and inclusive and like beautifully simplistic in its kind of morality 
And Picard is like, oh no, the Federation are bad now. They didn't rescue the Romulans because they're so xenophobic. <laughs> it's like, oh, actually, we, we never believed this could happen, but now the darkness seems to be winning. It's like, oh, yeah, I, wonder, I wonder why that's happening now. Anyway. Uh, no one's asked us about Star Trek. I just that was, that was my own AMA. Would you, would you just me? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, at CP underscore Vaughny says discuss the inevitable move to a Netflix style subscription service for right. Premier League games. Pros and cons. Uh, Tifo Pro, posted a great video on this this week. Sure. And an athletic article was posted yesterday. Got mentioned. Got mentioned. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I mean, I read and and watched and uh, engaged in some debate with. Uh, with our friends at TIFO uh, around this one. So so my view is that the, the Premier League will go to a hybrid model over the next few years, right? So don't expect a binary-style uh, switch to over-the-top and not broadcasting. The Premier League has like 100 deals in different... Um, What's over-the-top? Sorry, o- over-the-top means um, not... In, in, in content terms not through a cable provider or a broadcaster right. as a channel and a rights deal, but over the internet cool. to an to an app or a streaming service of some kind, right? So the Premier League, uh, like a few things, Premier League has had a streaming service before and, the, um, and they have Premier League Productions, which has been around some time. It provides two things. In the past, it's provided infill for when they didn't have a broadcasting deal. So Singapore, New Zealand, a couple of examples. And they also provide kind of production and extra content for broadcasters who don't have the sort of full suite of production stuff, much like the NBA does for um, broadcasters around the world. Perhaps a little less progressive than the NBA in terms of their sort of digification, digitization. I'm making words up now. The second one's a real word. Um, Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so my my, um, answer is I think, in certain markets, the Premier League will move to this over the next two cycles. So the next broadcasting round, I think, will be predominantly, and this is the one from 22 to 25, will be predominantly two linear traditional broadcasters who will pay a fee and charge consumers mostly through pay-per-view or pay-per-subscription with a few free-to-airs runoff advertising around the world. Um, but in certain markets, Premier League will do the analysis, which says we'll probably expand our market more if we don't do that and we'll go direct to the consumer. Then my second point is it's much, much harder to go direct to consumer than a lot of broadcasters think. So in the TIFO video, they use this sort of um, approximate figure of 200 million as a sort of market ceiling. That's about how many people get access to the Premier League worldwide now through paid services. And that might that might well be true, but um, what we've seen with the rise of Netflix and now Disney Plus, HBO Max coming in May, um, and uh, there'll be Universal One. We've got CBS, which does Star Trek, as we were just talking about, uh, on their digital platform. Is that it's really really hard to transition uh, consumers away from the old linear broadcaster to the over the top broadcaster for two reasons: one, really long contracts that um that uh, the content creators have with the channels um and a lot of carriage fees so you're kind of you, you've got the drug of money coming in how doesn't matter how successful your um your your channel is um and then the fee in the case of um um the premier league and the big broadcasting rights so it's just it'd been a really slow car crash that everyone in the industry expected to happen much much more quickly 
And I only say that really long answer to say it'd be really hard for the Premier League to do this in the way they think they'd do it because they'd have to spend a hell of a lot of money to advertise to people, to do all the production around it, which host broadcasters do themselves and the cost associated with that. Um, so, you know, all the interviews or the analysis or the um, or the punditry, all of that they'd, they'd have to do anyway. Truly, I don't think it, it's not going to happen quickly. It's really interesting. I, I think you're, you're kind of very well placed to uh, to discuss that particular subject, Ed, and it's it's, it's nice to have your thoughts on that. Um, uh, interestingly enough, there's a question here from at JSF underscore seven um, about Ralph Hassenhutel and asking a friend. Oh, how can I mention Jay without calling him a friend of the show? That that would be horrendously rude. Um, sorry, Jay. Um, but he he asked whether we would take Ralph Hasenhutl as United manager, and I'm actually going to pause that question because yesterday I spoke with Carl Anker, who hosts the Athletics uh, United podcast, but is their Southampton correspondent, and we had a long conversation about um, the specific reasons why, while Hasenhutl has some of what we'd want, ultimately he's probably better suited to a different type of job. So I'll let Carl, who's much better placed to answer that question, answer that part of the question. And then his second part of the question is also thoughts on United's complaint regarding sun photographers being outside Woodward's hmm. house. Interesting, this one, isn't it? Yeah, on the first one, Hassan Hoodle, I don't think he's got the profile United would go for anyway. Sure. To, to answer it from the United perspective, I think it's a very conservative organisation which has taken what seems like a bold decision with Ollie for very Woodward-esque reasons. And, and the, the thing is, Jay's question is like, would we take him? And that's the bit where yeah. what Carl had to say was actually really interesting. So Matters, yeah. Good segue into Woodward. Well, I mean, you know, there were, we had this conversation on this here pod where we said, a little bit odd that there was a pro photographer just happened to be hanging around in Prestwich of, a, of an evening, you know, as they do. Uh, and and also happened to get a bunch of quotes from these people who were causing criminal damage, apparently. Hmm. Now, like, of course, what this what this um, doesn't mean is that the conspiracy theory that this is all a setup and these these fans didn't exist at all. They weren't fans, or because of like this group of thirty is not in any of the f- photographs, so it's given more fuel to their or that gave fuel to the conspiracy theorists. What it doesn't mean is the conspiracy theory is true. It just means the Sun have behaved in a really appalling manner. Well, what a surprise. Yeah. And, and, but, but it will definitely give extra fuel to the conspiracy theorists as well. Yeah, but either way... Because how did the Sun get the tip off? Yeah. In the week that Neil Ashton, former Sun, you know, etc. Uh, that's so that's yeah. the kind of super weird thing about this. It's like... There's very clearly, I mean, it seems difficult not to infer, I guess I should say, that um, the articles which began to appear in Neil Ashton's friend's columns immediately after he was employed by Manchester United appeared to be, I inferred a relationship between those things. I have no inside knowledge and I may be wrong. They may have just been, may have been an entirely independent thought. Hey, who knows? Um, but for that to then, for this to happen then, the kind of connections and interweb and relationships are, are weird. And that's not me saying I believe the conspiracy theory, I have to say. Because I I think on balance, I absolutely don't. Because it seems to me that they're kind of, it is just as likely that a bunch of reprobates did reprobate stuff. 
and wanted to get attention for it. Although they sure. never have in the past. Like there's, there's no. And and the other thing is that uh, Woodward garnered from this one story better and more sympathetic press than he has ever garnered in his time as at Manchester United. Sure. More sympathetic. Yeah. Although the kind of the lengths of craziness that we're now talking about, like the lengths of paranoia and the depth of despair, like personal, like intense trouble that he must be in if he's actually arranging a conspiracy for people to like look like they're attacking his house and then getting the club to sue the son afterwards. Like he's in real trouble if, it, if that's what he's doing. But anyway, um, yeah, it was whatever's happened. The son have behaved despicably and are a despicable organization. And anyone who works for them should be profoundly ashamed of themselves. Um, so yeah, uh, at escape here says, this is a good question. This was this almost got me as badly as the Ollie is not a legend question. Now that the dust has settled on his final couple of frustrating seasons, is it time to consider Wayne Rooney our best ever Premier League player? No, no, it's absolutely <laughs> not because Wayne Rooney was absolutely amazing. But um, first of all, at his peak, his peak is not the best peak we saw in the Premier League because the best peak we saw in the Premier League was Ronaldo's. Um, his longevity was not the best because we saw both gigs and skulls perform at a higher level for long. Well, for at closer to their highest level for longer with far f- like Giggs's worst moments were pretty bad, but they didn't have a patch on Wayne Rooney's worst moments. Um, I, right. I think that it's and until someone else wins 13, it's going to be real difficult to take this title away from Ryan Giggs really. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I similarly, reject the question no he was not united's best ever premier league player very very good amazing one, who stayed stayed for too long and but we'll be seeing him again i'm so soon. happy about this like honestly i was just like almost jumping up and down with joy because since he's gone i have got fully like rose tinted spectacles glorious revisionism about how much i loved wayne rooney once <laughs> and it's just gonna be it's just gonna be lovely he's going to get 90 minutes of white Pele chance and it's going to be great. Are, are you going to feel the same way when he pings one into the top corner in the 94th it, minute to knock United it's fine. out? Like that's, it's, it's kind of inevitable. It's a bit like when, when Beckham hit the bar for Milan and everyone went, ooh, because they all wanted it to go in at Old Trafford. And when Van Persie scored against us in the Champions League and the whole ground rose to it. So, I mean, I think we were 4-0 up in both of those games at that time. So ideally we'll be 4-0 up when that happens. But... I reckon Rooney will miss a last-minute penalty because that's what he does. Um, All right. Uh, So, um, at Apple Vinedra, Andre Greenidge says, seems there's a briefing that Relish, I'm going to assume he means Grealish, and this is autocorrect, has has cruelly tripped him up and put Relish in place of Grealish. I kind of might call Grealish Relish forever now, and this will be why. Um has already agreed terms for the summer. Is there any chance he could actually be a summer where brackets correct needed targets that have been sounded out well beforehand actually sign early in the window? No. No, 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 of course not. No, 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 no. So pick whatever number you think Grealish is worth and Aston Villa are going to ask, 50, 60, 70 million, whatever. That's the number that Villa will start the negotiations at. United will start with a much, much lower number. 
And Villa know that they, because we now have a pattern, Crystal Palace, Leicester, Bruno Fernandes, that United will eventually cave. Will cave. So just hold out. Villa's best chance of getting the most possible money from Grealish, if that truly is a United target, is to wait until September the 2nd, 2020, when they will extract even more than they first asked. Oh, yeah, and it is going to be September, isn't it? Because um, the, uh, the yes. Premier League have uh, revoked their unilateral disarmament, as you called it, in the week. Yes, they have. Um, unsurprising. Look, it would be sensible for the whole of Europe to move to a to a, a set window. I mean, it just happens to be that the Premier League does start two weeks earlier than, say, Spain. Um, it's not true of the whole of Europe. Um, it would be much less di- disruptive if it if it did start before the season, but that's not going to be the case because the rest of Europe sort of nodded along and, and said, oh, that seems interesting and didn't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> so, yeah, we've re-nuked. Yeah, it's like the... It, w- it won't make a huge amount the of The one area of British life where we're not going to be dramatically lagging behind Europe in a couple of years' time. Um, at Uncomfy Silence says, in the current market, considering his all-round quality, our dire need for midfield leadership, the United slash British player tax, what would a young Brian Robson cost us to buy? And once we found no value in the market, who would actually sign him? The, the problem is, I'm yeah, not answering no. that second question because it has a very specific answer and I refuse to say it out loud. Um, but the answer to the first question is... 150 million? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what was he? 1.5, something yeah, like that. I, I talked to I Wayne Barson um, on for the Friday pod um, about the Ron Atkinson time, and he was uh, Ron's first signing, I believe, um, and something like 1.5 million. It was an awful lot of money. And, and actually, Wayne was saying on the, the pod that uh, there were there were quite a few directors who didn't want United to spend this money, yeah, including Matt Busby, yeah, who res- thought it was an outrageous amount of money. So yes, it would be a hundred million plus. I signing. love that interview, by the way. I had no idea that um, Sir Matt had resigned from the board over the Robson signing. It was absolutely remarkable. Uh, the one thing I didn't love though was seeing Ron Atkinson's mug on our uh, Instagram. I wasn't. I was like, listen, no. I mean, so look, what what I didn't ask. I went, look, go listen to it's really good and, and uh, make 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 your own mind up about it. I didn't ask about Ron's sort of racist past because it is not. It's not about. It's not the book wasn't covering that period of his no. life, so I, I didn't want to delve into that. But like, but, but like, yeah. sod Ron Atkinson. Like that guy doesn't deserve anyone's anything it depends it depends do you believe in um in uh in in uh, what word am i redemption do, do you believe in redemption yeah, I, I, yes do you believe in I, redemption? I do i mean he said sorry an oh, awful lot oh yeah and then he said if anything i've over apologized yeah that was and not no, good <laughs> so yes i do believe in redemption in fact my literally my entire life is based around the concept um but uh i believe that your apologies have to be sincere to count um and uh and i actually have some um empathy for his position which is that it is very very hard for him to understand why what he's done should have the tail on that it has well it kind of hasn't now because everyone's like oh let's get books signed by ron atkinson and give them out to people like let's get ron atkinson on all the podcasts all the united podcasts let's let's host q and a's with ron atkinson and like that's what the united community are doing um but he nothing about the way ron atkinson has reacted since 
would just literally the fact that he says if anything i've over apologized that's a direct quote um so nah forget ron atkinson uh and 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 hopefully one day he'll actually have some redemption where i'll go oh my god i now understand because i've listened but anyway at joey uh the answer is ryan uh, brian robson would cost a million billion trillions and it'd be worth every single penny a lot um, all right. Uh, Joe Mangini asked a question, uh, which really is, I think, ultimately quite a flawed question, although I understand the, the concept of it, where he says, if you could only get rid of one entity, which would it be? Ed Woodward or the Glazers? Yeah. But, of course... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's two for one it, deal in this in this one. You just get rid of the Glazers because Woodward goes... Exactly. It's like when people would say, what would you rather do, win the Europa League or and qualify for the Champions League or finish fourth and... When, anyway, it was. I remember a question where it was like, either, both of these are the same. All right, here we go. Would you rather yeah. do it with Ed Woodward or the Glazers? <laughs> Is that the game we're playing? I think that one has a really straightforward answer as well, too, but I don't really want to get into it. Um, at Rusty Rooster, uh, Rusty underscore Rooster says, this is a brilliant question on the other hand. Um, Antonio Valencia, Nick Powell, Danny Simpson, David Jones, Quinton Fortune, Jordi Cruyff, Kevin Pilkerton, Gary Walsh, and now Odia Nagalo. Who's the best player to wear the number 25? What a list. <laughs> what a storied shirt this is. Yeah. Well, look, it's got to be Antonio, yeah. hasn't it? Because he's had such a long time at the club. And even if he wasn't the best right back in the world and not really the best you know, winger in the world, except for, well, say for about half a season when he was pinging it onto Wayne Rooney's One full head. calendar year. He's like, he's like Smalling, he had one full calendar year. <laughs> Valencia did. So, but the rest of that bunch, what a motley crew. Spectacular. <laughs> Odin Agallo, like, I'm, I am extremely, talk about PR, it's worked on me. Like, all I care about now is Odin Agallo having a nice time. <laughs> like, this is, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible signing. Double, triple, a million training sessions, whatever he's doing. Yeah, he stayed, stayed back in Manchester because they're worried about the incubation period for coronavirus right. and that he might still have right. it. Potentially. Right. Potentially he's still infectious. Not that he has got it, sorry, I'll phrase that again. It's a long incubation period. He might have got it and might not know. Small risk. So, uh, anyway, I, I just... He he's if you ever if you want an object lesson in how to say the right stuff. The thing is, right, the reason it's an object lesson in how to say the right stuff is it's because it's real. Like that's 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 the oh, tremendous sure, advantage yeah. it has. It's the ultimate rags to riches, t- not rags to riches, but like dream come true story. Um, yeah, no, he's a, he's a player who's been earning three hundred thousand pounds a week for the last uh, yeah, no three rags, years. <laughs> only riches. The ra- the rags to riches part. I don't know what his background is, but assuming like let's assume if he did come from uh, not having money growing up, he's he's long since solved that particular problem. Um, uh, at D, un- okay, no, I'll I'll do these in order. At one, Matt, Matty Viney says, in their prime, who would bring the most to this team for the rest of this season? Rude, Vidic. Or skulls. Also, how many games would Jemba Jemba, David Bellion, and Alex Butner get in the squad today? <laughs> I genuinely, yeah. What? Sorry, far away, Ed. Go, go, no, I, no, I tell you what. I'll answer the. I'll answer the first part. You can do the second part. So the first one is skulls right now because chance creation and um, and progressive passing is United's biggest problem. Much as Rude might bang a load of goals in, I think he might not get the chances. And on the Alex Butner 
Jemba, Jemba, and David Bellion. The thing is, I actually think David Bellion would get some game time on the right wing. Like, Alex Butner's not getting any time ahead of Marlon Brandon-Williams and and Luke Shaw and Butner. They're at the kind of similar level, shockingly. Um, uh, (laughs) But yeah. Um, uh, But I think that... And Jemba Jemba wouldn't get any time in the... I mean, actually, he might play like the odd... Not Premier League game, but... um, like cup game or whatever. I've played plenty of. I mean, like I'm not United's midfielder of the mid mid two thousands wasn't any worse than this one. Um, he, how many games did he play for United? Like forty odd. Yeah, yeah, quite. He he really did. Um, we had we had loads of questions on our Instagram, which I forgot to look up before we started recording, and uh, and I'm now like desperately scrolling through because uh, I feel like they didn't happen a long time ago. Uh, but actually, it turns out they did. And we've had loads of Instagram messages in the meantime because we're super popular and beloved or something. Um, and my favourite thing on Instagram is Odia Nagalo's Instagram stories, though, and just how many there are. Um, he He's incredibly prolific in his sharing. Um, so, yeah. He's enjoying he, it. He's He and his family are, are loving it. And uh, he he's going to go bonkers when he scores against Chelsea a week from Monday. We, um, we, we had a question. We talked about Tifo earlier. We had a question from Joe from Joe. Hi, Joe. Um, which I then ended up having incredibly long exchanges uh, via voice memo with Alex Stewart about who United's next manager should be. Because what, what Joe said was, assuming, let's, let's just assume Solskjaer would be sacked in the summer, who would be the person that you would go to taking Pochettino off the table because it's the kind of obvious route one answer. And I kind of said, we need um, Pochettino from five years ago or maybe like 10 years ago. It's just on the cusp. We need a manager who's on the cusp. And I was like, well, actually, Alex is... But but, but isn't that Nagelsmann? Well, what Alex... Uh, RB Leipzig, or is that too obvious well, what as Alex well? What Alex said, which I thought was really interesting, is Pochettino from 10 years ago doesn't exist because of the availability of information the revolution in the availability of information, even within the last decade. So there are no secrets in football. There are no best kept secrets in football anymore. Everyone who's paying attention is aware of all of these kinds of people. And um, we're in a position where, and I thought this was really interesting because it's it's interesting to talk to someone who's not a United fan about this, where he was saying um, it's such a toxic setup that a manager who's on the cusp of breaking through to the elite level would almost be crazy to pick United. Because although there is the potential ups, upside, if you pull off a miracle, dance through the raindrops, that's so much less likely than the complete lack of structure is going to guarantee failure for any manager coming in and, and reputational damage. So given sure. that they'll earn... And, and that's one of uh, among the many problems United have is every smart manager will look at Ed Woodward and go, no, no way, just no way. That is the guy who's going to go and execute the deals for me. No way. Um, I found I found our question. So um, uh, wellness massage Alton, um, Martin uh, on on that's you know I like it when people message us from their from their job Instagram accounts. Um, uh, Martin Martin says a uh, question. I could do with a bit of a background yeah. to be honest. <laughs> Um, a question for our AMA. Now Marcus Rashford is out pretty much forever. Who do you fancy for our player of the year or should we scrap the whole thing? I think if we haven't scrapped it in the last few years, 
we're never going to scrap it. And I think Marcus Rashford will end up being player of the year anyway, even missing four months of the season or whatever it is. Yeah, well, because who's the other option? I mean, Fred. Is, Fred, yeah. Fred. Fred, Fred for being slightly better than mediocre. Yeah, yeah. Well, is he? has he only been slightly better than mediocre? Is it yes. Called, yeah, yes. Okay. Damn it. Yes. I was I was worried it was my standards that had slipped. <laughs> anyway, do we have more questions yeah. from the gram? Because yeah, we're, we we're powering through the hour on the AMA. We are. We, I, think, I think we've got two questions left total. Um, so at Dos Damp, Ben says, um, the midfield, discuss the good, the bad, the worst. I'm especially interested in thoughts on how static slash deep they play. I'm convinced they're too deep, too static, and not getting, not creating problems by getting into the box. I think he's nailed our yeah, key yeah, structural no, problem. 100%. No one runs ahead of the ball. Bruno may do. He didn't do in his debut at all. Uh, there was a Mirror article this week, by the way, really funny, in which, the, uh, in which one of the paragraphs uses, he says... Oli Solskjaer, who's failed to get the best out of new signing Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, of all the sticks to beat Oli with. Yeah, um, so so we, we may well see uh, Bruno push further forward and getting ahead of the ball, which is desperately needed, but he didn't do in the first game. But we'll, He definitely we'll changed positions at half-time in that game, by the way. I, I, I said it kind of like a bit tentatively because I wasn't sure, but he definitely was playing at at 10 in the first half and switched back to playing in in the two and then didn't get ahead of the ball when he was playing in the two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting we were talking about Van Gaal earlier because that was the biggest problem under Van Gaal, wasn't it? Like Schweinsteiger and Schneiderlin sat behind the ball the whole time or Fellaini and Carrick or whoever it was that was in there. And, and it, they've got enough, especially like Fred is like quite good defensively. Even Andres Pereira is quite good defensively. So there's plenty of... Oh, if Lingard plays, like he can track back and tackle. So you'd think there's kind of... They'd have the courage. The other one would have the courage to go. I guess Matic can't because he's too slow. And then Fred can't because he can't leave Matic defending. Yeah, and, and none of them score many goals. Pogba, at, who's been out for most of the season for one reason or another... Without him, no one in the United midfield scores any goals. Scott McTominay has two Premier League goals this season, I think. <laughs> um, all right, final question. I like this one. At D underscore C underscore 81. Since a lot of ex-players won't stop banging on about the lack of characters in this United team, do you think the Keens and Inces would actually survive this era without catching actual felonies? No, not a chance. Like, I mean, Roy Keane could have been a brilliant footballer in this era, but he would have been a totally different footballer. Yeah, look, I, yes, I, I agree with that point. Uh, but he was that good that I think he'd have adapted to this era. Um, I, but look, we've seen very good footballers dragged down in the last seven years of United, and and there's nothing to say that they wouldn't have. I mean, Paul Ince, his his post managerial phase is basically basically is an internet troll. Yeah, like he'd have been on Insta having a go at people all the time, wouldn't he? People have hated him. Uh, Keen, Keen. I don't know. I just don't know whether his mind would have been able to process the fact that he was playing in such a bad team. Yeah, that's that's a good a good question. And and I think I think there there are degrees like Sunes also was a fine player on the ball, but a psychopath off it. And I do wonder whether there are there are kind of players being weeded out of the game at a younger age 
who have got that kind of temperament or if they're all being kind of transformed and adapted to players who use their aggression differently. Um, but yeah, it's a... Yeah, I suspect it's more the latter, yeah. yeah. And and then the coaching will, will coach the... Uh, Coach the Marlon Brandon Williams out of uh, out of as many players. But that's as possible. actually probably a great example because you know we've seen um, Brandon Williams exert self discipline. Like you literally have seen it happen on the pitch, and you wonder whether like if it had been. I mean, we talked about Brian Robson earlier. Brilliant chat on. Um, it's a kind of re- recurring theme on the official United podcast of just people sharing stories of times that Brian Robson got revenge on someone that had fouled them. <laughs> that's uh, long gone, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these, like certainly Keane, Keane was not an enforcer. That wasn't his primary role in the in the side. You know, Darren Fletcher says Roy Keane's the best passer he ever played with, including skulls in that, you know, so. Yeah. We literally, we said like, we're going to do an AMA, not an AQA, because we might not answer all the questions. But I think, I think there's like two or three questions we didn't get to and every other one got done. All right. P- plenty of questions yeah. anyway. We filled an hour. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. I love I love doing these shows because it makes such a nice change not to just say the same things over and over again about United's performances. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm not a big fan of a mailbag episode. Oh, really? As, as our friends across the pond like to call Interesting. it normally. But uh, there, there were some good questions here, so hopefully... I, I like a mailbag that. episode in, in podcasts in general because it's a sort of like um, a pleasant drift through topics rather than lingering on one. I quite like that. Um, the Chelsea game is Monday. Uh, we're recording this on the Sunday night and it's a week and a day away. Who knows who's going to be fit? Who knows if Fred will have been dumped in a river somewhere for the things that he said? <laughs> you know, um, who knows if Odi Nogalo will be fit to start? Um, well, he hasn't played since the beginning of December, so not yeah. really. Um, he might, he might. Be on the bench though. There's a fair, Might, yeah, fair yeah. chance. I'm, I'm assuming you will be. And, yeah. and I have to say, I mean, if United can put together any kind of functional performance, which is a very substantial if, obviously, uh, Chelsea are entirely fallible. I mean, as as we said after the last game, they were the only side in the Premier League to uh, generate less XG than us in their uh, in their game last weekend. Um, whether or not. Um, United will be able to string three passes together. That's the good question. I'm looking forward to seeing Bruno in action again, which is, I think, it's a bit like earlier this season, just looking forward to watching Marcus Rashford play. Feels a bit like that with Bruno Fernandes at the moment. It does look, it's a it's a huge game though, isn't it? I mean, United currently in eighth. So the narrative <laughs> <laughs> that, I was going to call him Fergie for a second then, Solskjaer has been pushing that we are fifth and close to the top. Well, we lose this one and Wolves could be past us and Arsenal could be within a point of us. So we are currently looking above us at Sheffield United, Spurs who've sacked their manager this season, Everton who've sacked their manager this season. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I didn't know we were eight, by the way. That happened today, didn't it, when Everton... Yeah, and and that's look, there's plenty of things you can beat Solskjaer with there, but the fact that he can't get the best out of Bruno Fernandes... <laughs> That's the worst crime he's committed so far. That's the Outrageous. worst crime. Sack him. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as we said, on Friday, interview with Carl Anker. I really enjoyed it. First half of the interview, sort of United-centric. And then, mostly for my own amusement, I just uh, asked him about what it's been like to cover a Premier League team uh, this season. We ended up having a, a bit of a 
chat about Southampton just because I found it interesting. Um, so stay tuned for that one um, later. Not today. Don't stay tuned for that now because that's not going to happen now. Come back on Friday for that one. And then uh, we will have a show out as soon as we can after the, the Chelsea game. Our our schedule, which we've carefully designed around the fact that United are now officially a Europa League club, doesn't take into account Monday night football. So we'll work out what we'll do. We'll record on um, Tuesday or something like that and dump it out midweek. Yeah, something like that. Um, something like that. Uh, so anyway. Thanks everyone to listen for listening. Patreon backers, stay tuned for some extra chat. Um, and everyone else, uh, I'll see you Friday uh, with Carl, and then we'll be back uh, in the middle of the week after that. All right, bye now. Thanks for that.